to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 9. And the last time the message was titled, Principles for God's People. And this is where we get into the teachings that are, if you're not familiar with the scripture, you kind of have to wrap your mind around what Jesus was saying. You know, when we go through the Gospels and he taught in the first century, uh, even his disciples had questions, right? And they would sometimes talk to themselves about it. And Jesus would, of course, if they showed their stick to so to speak, and they stayed with him and understood that he was fully God and fully man, he would start to unravel the meaning of these teachings. So principles for God's people, and again, in American culture, even in church culture, we can romanticize the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Christ. But then he says something like, roughly in the 10 verses we covered last Sunday, love your enemies. And he says it twice, right, just in case we didn't hear it the first time. And you say to yourself, what does that look like? Uh, Am I uncomfortable with this? And what we find is when we really, not just surface teachings, but when we really delve into the scripture, right, we say to ourselves, wow, I can't do a lot of the things that he's asked me to do. And the idea of the touchy-feely, fuzzy Jesus, and you start to see the serious, the uh, really deep Jesus, Right? What does this mean? What does this look like? But, of course, he's God the Son. He's brilliant. What he does is he shows us a deficit that we have as people. Love your enemies. Who's mastered that? And if you have mastered that, maybe you can help me out with that as well. Uh, but, you know, when you look at that, you realize I have a deficit. And what the people realized then, we realize today, is that that deficit can only be filled with the Savior. So Jesus was already setting everything up for people to accept him as the Savior, right? Only with the power of God can we do the things that he's called us to do. And this morning, the message is titled, Truly God's People with a Question Mark. Now, some may look at that and go, wow, that's uh, not sure how I feel about that title. But really, what we start to learn is a self-awareness. As we start to go through these metaphors and these symbols We read them, and boy, we can't help but kind of hold up the mirror to ourselves. How do I measure up to these things? Self-awareness, right? Discernment as believers. God the Holy Spirit is, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit if we're believers. He works with us. He uh, convicts us at times. He helps us at times. It's a relationship. It's awesome. So we start to look at these things, and we realize that, First, we say, well, these are a bunch of eclectic metaphor, symbolism, parable kind of things. But then when you start stringing them together, you realize there's a, there's a thought here, right? There's something that the Lord really wants us to know in all this. So we're going to look at this in five parts, and we're going to jump in. Verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, or the abundance of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now we have to look at this in the entire context of Scripture, especially what we've been covering in chapter 6 up to this point. So one out of five is the blind leading the blind. You could also say, you could also ask the question, who are we following? Who or what are we allowing to influence us? If we're following bad teachers and bad philosophy, both the teachers and we will be lost. We'll be lost. So we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis, what are we into? What type of, um, you know, ideas or new ideas or things like that are we into? He says both the teacher and the disciple, if they're both blind, will fall into the ditch. So there's an admonition as a warning to not fall into the ditch. Right? Jesus doesn't want to see the two fall into the ditch. Not the teacher, not the pupil. And actually, as we start to read this and we ask ourselves these very important questions, we may have to cut ties with certain philosophies or people that are leading us into the ditch. Amen? Amen? So why does Jesus say these things? Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to, to end, he doesn't want it to end that way. Verse 40, interesting, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. In those days, and today, you know, they had their philosophies, they had their people, and they would have students and the students, if you were to ask them, wanted to be like their teacher. They wanted to emulate their teacher. Before I was a Christian, I followed philosophies too. There's a lot of philosophies out in the world. You can pick one. There's a smorgasbord of philosophies. Then when I became a Christian, I started reading the teachers of Christ, the teachings of Christ, and I had to say to myself, I can't follow this anymore. Right? So very important stuff that Jesus is trying to impress upon us. The disciples, again, striving to be like their teachers. If it's the Lord, then we do well. Now, we could follow things about uh, decorating or, I don't know, just stuff maybe about our profession that's an innocuous, has no eternal implications. But there are things that we can follow that do have eternal implications. And how do they jive with the teachings of Christ? Well, one of the many benefits of walking with Jesus is that he's God the Son, so we can't go wrong. 
right? We have a teacher that we know whatever he teaches us, it's for our best interest. Even when some of the teachings don't necessarily feel good emotionally, they're for our best interest, right? His promises will guide us safely through eternity. So I would say this too, vet your teachers, vet the philosophies that you're into, because in American culture, it's becoming very decadent as we move towards a post-Christian culture. And there's a lot of these philosophies that are being forced upon our culture. And you have to, you have to start questioning things. There used to be a bumper sticker when I'm, bed, I'm dating myself when I was young. I don't see them anymore. And the bumper sticker would say, question authority. Got to start questioning who your teachers are, your professors, your, you know, the CEOs of your company. What are they trying to force you to believe? And is it more forced or is it, you know, make a decision then and come back here? You know, I, I think of some of the, even these internet ministries. Listen, it's a whole different dimension. If you watch TV all the time and you never get to talk to these folks, you never get to have a, a person-to-person conversation. And I can tell you that I've met people who have followed certain TV personalities and then met them in person and were very disillusioned. Like, they're like, that's not what I expected. I guess they just act that way when, they're, when the camera goes on. Three, two, one, we're live, right? Um, so it's, it's a whole different ball game, so to speak, when you get to see people personally and see what, what their lives are like, right? Everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Again, the goal is to please Christ and to emulate him here and attract others. If we're truly exuding Christ, then we will be attractive to others, right? And sometimes we have to push, push self down and put self in the background and bring Christ front and center. It makes a whole, whole, it's a whole difference there. Verse 41, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, it's pretty funny, actually. Let me remove the speck. You ever get like a wood splinter in your eye? Man, those things drive me crazy. I've got like 10 bottles of boric acid. I hate getting stuff in my eye. You know, you just keep pouring it in there. So this guy sees the speck in his brother's eye, but he's got his own problems, right? When you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly remove the speck in your brother's eye. So two out of five is the plank versus the speck. Now, this is obviously hyperbole to make a point. I, I, years ago, I did co- uh, construction. I still do some carpentry, and I think about a plank. To me, I think about like a two-by-twelve. You know, it's a really long piece of wood, a 10-footer, and Jesus is saying, you got this plank stuck in your eye, and you're, you're, you're so concerned about his speck. He goes, just take the plank out. So hyperbole is something where it's purposeful exaggeration to make a point. And I think Jesus really made the point here because even unbelievers start, can quote this. They quote this, not even knowing the whole scripture. The speck versus the plank. And this is really the height of hypocrisy, looking at the speck of an issue in someone else's eye when we have our own skeletons in our own closet, so to speak, to use another symbolism. Truthfully, we can be more dismissive of our own sins when someone is committing the same exact sin, and what do we do? Well, we protect ourselves. We're dismissive. Someone can do the same exact thing that we do, and we're like, can you believe they did that? 
It's like, man, how can we be such hypocrites, right? It happens. It really does happen. So Jesus devoted a whole chapter in Matthew 23 to the corrupt religious system and the hypocrisy of what they were doing, which there's a spirit of that today in some some organizations. It's sad. It's like, did they ever read the Bible? Right? He says, first, remove the plank in your own eye. Check this out. Let's not miss this. So that you can see clearly, people miss this, to remove the speck in someone else's eye. So if we deal with our own issues and we're objective about the fact that we're sinners too, then we treat others with more grace when they have a speck, don't we? So the idea is to take that big piece of lumber out of your eye so now you can see clearly to see that speck. So what is he saying? He's, he's saying it's not wrong to help a brother or a sister with their issues of life as long as we honestly deal with ours. Amen? See, we don't have the ability to, like God says, oh, you know, once a year I'm going to let you live in someone else's body for a few months so you could see, walk in their shoes, another metaphor. We don't have that ability. So we're stuck with ourselves our whole life. So what do we get? Our own perspective. You ever get tired of yourself? Wow, what a response. You know? So let me just raise my hand. I get annoyed with myself too. And you know, I do self-talk. This is where some people are going to leave. They're like, I'm not coming back to this church. (laughs) And I say to myself, Joe, right, why are you doing this? What are your motives? I'll question my own motives for the things that I do. You know what? That's actually healthy. Actually very healthy. One of the, some of the best therapists, you go to them and you think they're just going to just throw up all this knowledge all over you. What do they do? They ask you questions. They get you to look in the mirror and ask questions about yourself. And if we don't have that ability to do that, we're going to be walking around with a plank in our eye. And it's just the way it is. God the Son, his, he's the best teacher. He has the best examples, right? No, no kidding. So I would say that some of the most judgmental people that I've ever met have some, you find out sometimes later that they had some serious issues that they're dealing with. So they become very judgmental. In, in behaviorism and psychology, that's known as projection. There's defensive projection. There's different types of projection. So the person's not happy with themselves, So they need to find something wrong with you so they feel better about themselves. So, you know, I I hear some of these politicians lecture us and they just, it's just annoying to me because they're hypocrites. They're insulated, they're well taken care of, and they want to tell us how to live and how to suffer through things while all their expenses are paid for. I can't listen to them very long. Two things, when someone comes into my office and they say, you could see that it's maybe a counseling appointment and they're very upset and they feel the need to tell me something they did last weekend or something that's really bothering them about themselves. And two things I keep in mind. Number one, they came into the office and they were just totally honest, not knowing what the repercussions would be. So do I punish people for being honest? Of course not. I think that's incredible in today's society where so many people are guarded. The second principle I think of is, you know, these are all going through my head when I'm in that session. I think to myself, and I say to myself, you're not perfect. So just be a good listener. Let them say what they need to say. 
And if I can keep those two principles, which are biblical principles, I will do well, right? And a person is, is you know, when people come to you with something, with the speck or the, or the little piece of wood or whatever they got in their eye, they want to be relieved. They want somebody to guide them. And what they don't need is to be stepped on and to be made worse than they felt coming into that office. So these are principles that we should, in leadership, in any leadership, right? CEOs do well if they can follow some of these principles and how they treat those that are uh, serving them. Verse 43, he says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns. This really hits me because I have three fig trees. <laughs> I love figs. They're so good for you. And uh, I walk around the garden. I'm like, oh, they're starting to change color. I water them. And I think, I think of this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I go out and I, I do, you know, we have gardens and stuff. And I, I think of Jesus' parables. Because they could relate, be related. Everyone could relate to them. So he says, men do not gather figs from thorns. Nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So three out of five is the tree and its fruit. And this is so, so true. Apple trees don't produce oranges. Orange trees naturally don't produce apples. And we see all the other things that he's speaking about. And it's true that people in organizations that produce evil agendas, actions, and rhetoric, they, it will come out in, in, in slip-ups. And even some of these politicians, hot mic, there's a slip-up. They say something that's totally incongruous with what they just said when they thought they were live and that the mic was shut off. So we do have a lot of evil in our culture, and men and women try to cover that as best they can. But out of that abundance, there's slip-ups, and things come out. Oh, tell us how you really feel, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Your constituents and the voters. I really have an issue with politics, but uh, as you can tell. <laughs> but, you know, even in the church that happens. Um, Jesus talked about tears in the church. He talked about good in the church organization. And churches are they're public places, so sometimes a person will come, at, come in, and they have nefarious motives. Right? Jesus told us this, these tears, but they would start to reveal themselves over time. You know, what are you here for? What's your angle? What are you trying to get? And a good, solid church with good, solid people who know the Bible will start to feel uncomfortable with this type of behavior. Right? And you look at some of these false ministries, and, and you know, you, you get the board members, and, and, and I've seen it. They get together and they're going to start a ministry, a Christian ministry. But they're so obsessed and focused on numbers. You know, an opening day, we've got to have 300 people or whatever. Or they're focused on, there's a money scheme. How do we do this so that we can make a good rate of return and pay our people? Right? These are all not good reasons to start a ministry or a church. To be famous versus, here, here's an idea. How do we honor God? How do we use the Bible, God's word? How do we love people? Because the former will eventually show their fruit. And the fruit is not always good. Verse 45. Again, the, the evil person can cover their uh, words and their heart with eloquence. But eventually, over time, you see the fissures in the dam and the water coming through. 
right? And you start to see the, the dams start to come apart, um, proverbially. So actions also speak louder than words, right? What are their actions? What are they saying? Is it congruous, incongruous with what they say in public and incongruous with God's word? That's a big one. So in a sense, and, and people don't, well, let me get to this in the next part. Matthew 7 does a little bit more elaboration. You know Jesus must have said these things over and over again. In times he had different nuances to what he said based on the crowd or the circumstance or the time that he had. In verse uh, Matthew seven nineteen through 20, it says, Every tree, Jesus said this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, that's not a good picture. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So there's a certain amount of discernment that we're supposed to have as believers. You could say, and I've heard the term used, fruit inspection. Sometimes that is necessary, right? How close are we getting to somebody? Can we trust this person? Not to be paranoid, but to some of the stuff is just obvious. It's obvious, right? Last Sunday, we talked about judging and the, the large semantic range, right? All, all the way over here, remember I did that continuum, is condemnation, damning someone to hell. Well, none of us have that ability to do that. And Jesus says, do not judge, do not condemn. We can never operate in this area. And the other area, and it's, it's worth repeating, is you know, judging a, a pie-eating contest at a 4-H fair. It's great. It's fun. You know, the kids love it, but it has no eternal implications to it. So great. Do it all you want. Nobody's getting hurt. In the church, somewhere in the middle, we are to be discernment. We're supposed to use discernment about things that are troubling when the Holy Spirit's setting up flags. It's not an easy thing to walk. Just like love your, love your enemies. You can love your enemies, but you don't have to give them the routing number and the account to your bank account. You, you hear where I'm going with this? Like, as Christians, we can, we can parse this. We can do it. We can love our enemies. We can love people that are um, maybe abusive, but we wouldn't allow them to babysit our kids, would we? But we can still love our enemies. Sometimes you need to love somebody from a distance, but you can still love them, right? And we can do this with the Spirit of God. He'll show us what's right and what's wrong. Um, and, and again, I've seen Christians being taken advantage of uh, horribly because predators and scammers, they prey on the elderly. I've seen them prey on church people. I used to be a police officer, so I, this is what I did for a living. They look for what they consider the vulnerable to take advantage of. And there are some tears that go from one church to another church to another church to another church, and they, they make merchandise of people as they're going through each church. God hasn't called us to, to tolerate that. But do we have discernment to see these things? 2 Corinthians 11, and I'll paraphrase this, Satan doesn't come as, you know, in a red jumpsuit with a tail and, and a pitchfork and pointed ears to scare people. He comes as an angel of light, the Bible says. So we need discernment. His ministers, it says, come as ministers of righteousness. So they come charismatic. They come preaching smooth things, things that make you feel good all the time. Sometimes when we preach, we're not supposed to feel good all the time. We're supposed to do a gut check and a heart check. Amen? Right? So there's a, there's a lot to this. Verse 46, he continues, Jesus says... <laughs> And, you know, when you, I have my study Bible and there's little, you know, they break up the verses and there's chapter delineations. You know, chapter delineations came later on. This was understood as one 
flow in this teaching. It's a continuous flow. So Jesus seemingly in the middle of this teaching says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Four out of five is the double-minded. James 1 tells us the double-minded is unstable in all of their ways. What is the double-minded? Well, that's a person who maybe they like the idea of fire insurance. You know, well, I'll come to Jesus because I don't know what the alternative is. But they're not, their heart's really not for the Lord. You know, they, they live in the world. They play. They run in the world. Maybe they're cultural Christians, right? They, there's really no devotion to the Lord. There's really no relationship. Uh, you know, when, they, when the mood sweeps them in church, they, they feel good about a teaching and, oh, Jesus. And then they, Monday they're back into dog-eat-dog Kind of, kind of world, right? And just give no mind or concern to any of the principles that the Lord teaches. So this person is double-minded. They're, they're in Christ, they're in the world, they're in Christ. Now, th- does it mean we're perfect? No. No. At the end of the day, in, in my prayers, I'm like, Lord, I repent for any of the sins that I've committed. You know, any of the thoughts that I thought that you felt were unedifying. So, you know, this is this walk with the Lord. But are we striving to be close to the Lord? Right? What are we striving for? Right? The Lord, he, he needs to be kind of in, in the front, in the forefront. And it's kind of cool because when we deal with people and, and tough situations, if he's the foundation, which we'll get to, well, things maybe not work out perfect, but they'll work out better than they would have worked out if we just used worldly methods. But again, it isn't for us to get something. It's because we love the Lord. He first loved us, the Bible said. He died for our sins. So there's a lot in here. Matthew seven twenty one. Boy, now I'm really going to throw <laughs> throw something into the mix here. In Matthew seven, and this sometimes you read a scripture and you're like, "Wow, that's really pointed." Um, maybe I should talk to somebody about what that means because I'm not really sure how to take this. So Jesus said this in Matthew seven twenty one. He said, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven." but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, right, in the judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Think about these big, cool, you know, Hollywood-type ministries. And again, some of them are good, so please let me go there. There's no monolith here, but we need to know the difference. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, ooh, and done many wonders in your name? Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ouch. The name of Jesus is very powerful. Very powerful. And cultural Christianity tries to dismiss these types of scriptures. That's why in this church, we read the entire Bible. We don't just pick out our favorite parts. And sometimes, when I know on a Sunday that I have to read something that's pointed, I'm like, oh, Lord. I forgot this was in here. <laughs> Can you help me out teaching this one? <laughs> because this is, this is heavy. We don't just preach our, our favorite portions of Scripture. We preach it all. Right? So he says this, right? the double-minded. And again, some may say, they may hear this right now and say, wow, that sounds impossible. Exactly. It's impossible unless you're walking with God. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. That's why we want to walk with him. So there's so many benefits here. Verse 47, this at the end of the day shouldn't make us feel depressed. We're reading it wrong if we feel that way. It should make us feel hopeful. 
It should make us want to get closer to the Lord. That's the type of response that should be evoked here, right? I'm going to say this a second time at the end, and I, I, I saved this, so I can't wait to say it. So I'm just going to say it now, and I'll say it again. But God gave us free will to choose him or to not choose him. But in God's heart, he wants everybody to go to heaven. But he's given us free will. So he does things that really get us. It's a conscience check. It, it's a mirror check. It, it pricks our conscience. Or maybe we, we stop in our tracks and say, am I going in the right direction? God will try to persuade us as much as possible to get close to him so he, we could get to heaven without trampling over our free will. And that's a fine line that only God can walk. So when we read scriptures like this, we have to stop and say, am I really a Christian? By any of the metrics or uh, empirical standards set forth in the teachings of Christ. Right? Good stuff. Verse 47. We'll end with this. And then we're going to go into some miracles again uh, next time we come together in chapter 7. They're always fun. Says, Jesus says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Here's another metaphor, right? Most of the people Jesus preached to, many of them were uneducated, but they understood the things of life. You ever hear of a story about a guy who becomes, or a gal who becomes a millionaire, an entrepreneur, and they say, I never finished high school? I love to hear stories like that. But it doesn't mean they're dumb. It just means that they didn't have the benefit of of some formal training. But you know what? Their brain was able to adapt to life situations, and they overcame. I love the stories of underdogs. I'm really getting off the topic here. But the point is, I don't even know what the point was, but it sounded good, you know? All right. He's He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation in the rock, and when the... This is why I have notes. And the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it for the foundation on the rock. So I know what it was. It's the symbolism. Anybody can, you don't have to have any education. You can understand these simple things. Symbolism. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So five out of five is the two foundations of two foundations, right? Is our foundation built on the solid rock or the earth? Now, when he says the earth, it's also understood in Matthew's gospel as the sand. It's the sand. It's that shifting sand, right? I live in Ocean County, and it's like a beach. Every time you dig down more than a few inches, everything shifts on that sand. So you really have to make sure you have a solid foundation because things will move. Right? It's not stable. So A, he who truly follows Christ. This brings me back, actually, when I was a teenager, um, I was on a, a building crew, and it was fun. I learned from ground up, and I learned how to build structures, homes. We were building uh, maybe, I think it was apartments. But the person who's on that firm foundation Jesus is known in the Bible as the rock. And there's a reason for that, because he's that firm foundation. He's known as the cornerstone. And my buddy was um, uh, a bricklayer, and, you know, he would do all the grunt work, and he'd sit there with his plumb bobs and his levels, and I just wanted to hurry up and build the house. And he would just, like, be patient. He'd get annoyed with me, but I'd get annoyed with him. He was taking too long. But when he built that, that first corner, that foundation... It had to be X, Y, Z axes had to be proper. Otherwise, 
by the time he's done, it's going to look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And then someone's getting fired. And because I was part of his crew, I get fired too. So to him, it was, for me, it was job security and I didn't realize it. But what happened was you would, you would excavate, right? So you would <laughs> dig into the earth and then you would pour what was considered a footing, Usually, it's usually now concrete, and they probably have more impressive building materials now. But this was back in the day. And then when the footing cured, they would start to lay the block. So you had this, this foundation between the house and the earth to make sure when the... Have, when I lived in um, Middlesex County in Monroe, uh, some of these developments were built too quickly, and whole basement walls in some of these floods and you saw the pictures of them and then there's lawsuits and all kinds of stuff because the building wasn't done properly so they're supposed to account for floods and tornadoes and winds and a lot of rain and a lot of moisture and you saw some of these buildings where you're like wow that that development has only been there for like eight or nine years what's going on there poor foundation but the person who follows Jesus, metaphorically, is on a solid foundation, spiritually. B, the person who doesn't listen, or maybe listens with their ears, but it doesn't reach the brain, and it doesn't, it's not received, it's not applied in their personal lives, is, is like the person who built their foundation on the sand. That sand could be the world, it could be self you hear all these self-help, self-this. There's a, whole, there's a magazine called Self. Everything's self. We're going too far. Our self-esteem is good, but we're, in our culture, it's, it's off the charts, okay? Vain philosophy, this causes an instability, and the, the structure shifts. Now, there's some uh, churches where they check your attendance, and even part of their, their handbooks is that part of the way you get to— listen, you get to heaven through Christ, period— you don't add anything to it. But some of these handbooks and stuff are, um, you know, church attendance, if you, if you have good church attendance. But what good is church attendance if as soon as we leave the building, we don't apply anything? We apply nothing. Nothing. Zero. Right? Dog eat dog world. Got to look out for number one. That's not the attitude. <laughs> so, but what did Jesus say too? And I've seen this. You could have two exact houses built by, built by two builders. One used the proper foundation, the other one didn't. You build the house, the same exact house. You do the landscaping, you cover the dirt back over, you put the mulch out, you put the grass seed, and in a year, man, they look gorgeous, both of those twin houses. But there's something underlying, right? There's a problem underneath. First storm, one house stands, the other one's wrecked. Why'd that happen? It's the same house, but the foundation is different. And, and again, I've seen this over the years. It's a, it's a sad thing to see when someone goes to sleep at night and there's a storm and they wake up and part of their house is shifted or there's cracks in the foundation, there's water getting in, and, you know, I'm belaboring the point. And, folks, spiritually, it's the same thing. As people... They could be two different, they could be identical twins, right? Same basic genetic structure. One listens to the Lord and they build their foundation on him. The other one kind of listens. They're a cultural Christian, don't do really anything with it. When the storms of life come, you'll see the difference in both of their lives. 
you'll see what comes out. So great point, Jesus, the storms of life, the trials and the tragedies. You know, and, and listen, it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. I know people who are like, I'm really having a hard time with this. It could be a divorce. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be, and, and they'll say to me, but I know it would have been a lot worse if I didn't come to Christ. And they're like, they're like pray for me. I will pray for you. You know, I need help. We'll help you. That doesn't mean that they didn't listen. It just means that this is, Jesus said, we're going to have these things in life. But the difference is, they are handling, they know the Lord is with them in those deepest, darkest times. And I've heard this so many times being a pastor. I felt like I went through a dark place, but I, I could sense that the Lord was next to me. And I didn't sense that before I knew him. It's powerful stuff. And some of you right now in this very room, I'm not going to point anybody out, you're going through those things. But you know what? Be encouraged because your house is built on the right foundation. Amen. And I'll say the same thing for me. Um, many years ago, I started coming to a Bible teaching church. Um, nothing really changed in my life for the good until I started applying the teachings that I learned. At some point, I'm like, I'm either going to be a churchgoer and I'm wasting my time and the pastor's time and I'm taking up an extra seat. Or I'm going to make the leap and I'm going to start really following the Lord. Right? Celebrities look for fans. Jesus doesn't look for fans. He looks for followers. Big difference. So I, I found out that, wow, my life is changing. And again, I still had my trials. I still had plenty of surgeries. But you know what? It was different this time. So I just want to encourage you. And the question is, what foundation is our house built on after all that? And what do we want our spiritual house to be built on? You know, what do we want it to be built on? Anybody can profess Christianity, but it isn't until the trials and the tragedies come do we really see what are we made of. You know what some do that have not really, they, they listen, but they don't really apply. When the tragedies come, you know what they do? They abandon Christ. I've seen that too. And if they ask my opinion, I'll say, you don't have a proper footing. You never taste the sweetness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and just leave them because there's tragedies and trials. Or they look, they seek for worldly uh, options that are antithetical to Christ because they haven't built that proper foundation. Are we giving lip service to God? Are we giving lip service to God? This is a self-awareness check. So going back to the title of the sermon, Truly God's People, are we honest with ourselves? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I'll say it again. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when you look at the teachings in this book, we covered ancient Israel, we covered Isaiah, we covered the fall to Babylon. We covered the first century, the persecution from the Romans to the Christians. It's all the same thing. It's the world with trials. You know, a lot of Roman officials got saved. There's actually testimonies that are secular testimonies that attest to Roman officials that got saved. As much as they kept trying to kill these Christians and get rid of them, they couldn't. And then eventually they just stopped doing it. You know what I'm saying? But what does God do, right? God is very persuasive. 
And sometimes when we read these parables, it's like, oh, wow, that, that, ooh, that hurt. Let me go home and think about it. Let me pray about that. Lord, is, is that me? Self-awareness. Again, he's not going to force us to make a decision, but he's always there. He gave his son to leave the kingdom of heaven, to take the form of a man, to suffer such great injustices so that we could have eternal life. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that this is something that we should rejoice in and also say, wow, if you've never read this before, there's actually depth in the Bible. I didn't know that. We could have been raised in a, in a, in a denomination where everything was, was sugar-coated. And then we read something like this, it goes, wow, there's really depth in the scripture. So I want to encourage you with that. God loves you, but he isn't going to force you to come to him. But if you're feeling the tug in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you come forward and receive him. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.